0: All right, before we jump into the sermon, I want to um, to have a little uh, short prayer time. Uh, we have, I don't like this at all, but we have a few people, uh, more people. Uh, we had a few at the beginning of the summer that were leaving, transitioning out of Norman, and we have a few others that we need to recognize today that this will be their last Sunday in Norman, and so I want to pray over them and just make sure you know that they will be Um, They will not be with us anymore, at least regularly. And so, Ashley Lee, will you just come up here? Ashley Lee is one of those people. Just come up here and stand. Um, Ashley has meant a lot to a lot of people here at the church for the last three, four years um, that she's been. She's actually from Norman, grew up here, went to OU. Um, She joined us, I think, sophomore, junior year, maybe, of of, um, college or freshman, maybe? I don't know. Okay. So she's been around for like five years now. She has done so much in the church. She is a servant, um, so much so that on her last day in Norman and with us, she's actually playing up here, um, which is basically what Ashley does, right? She serves, and she contributes, and she's done that for uh, a few years now, even as she was in college and busy and doing all that, and um, Ashley has uh, babysat. For our family. She's babysat for a lot of families in the church. She has become family to a lot of families in our church, and so this is, <clears throat> this is not an easy one, um, but Ashley is going to be moving to Tulsa to start med school, and we're really happy for her. Yeah, she's worked really hard to prepare herself for that, and so this is a, this is a hard goodbye, but it's a good one. This is what God's called her to do. God's called her to equip her in this way and um, I have no doubt she's going to be successful, and the big prayer for her, obviously, is transitioning from out of Norman to Tulsa and into med school, which is, um, I've heard's really hard, <laughs> I don't know, but I've it's really hard, and then also, we want her to find a church, we want her to find a church home that will be blessed by her the same way we've been blessed by her at... Providence Road, and so we're trying to help with that. We're making connections. I've already made a connection to a church that is very much like Providence Road. I'm friends with the pastor, so hopefully she will get plugged in there, and it will it will be a good transition. The other family I want to recognize are the Eplings. Stephen, Hannah, Collette, and Everett. Um, they this is their last Sunday in Norman. They are not here. Um, they're taking just precautions for not being here. They're about to go visit a lot of family who have. Um, just who, who have compromised immune systems to that degree, so they're trying to be careful and stay home. But uh, they've been around for three or four years, members of the church, serve faithfully. Um, Stephen is starting business school, um, grad school in uh, Georgia, in Athens, at um, the University of Georgia. So they will be moving, um, I believe they're moving tomorrow. I think they're loading up and moving tomorrow and heading to Georgia. And so if you know them, if you have their information in your cell phone, send them a text. And just uh, tell them goodbye and maybe encourage them with a note and tell them what they've mean to, to, uh, to you in their life. They've been in a missional community with Nicole and I for a couple of years and have meant a lot to my family. They've served here faithfully in different areas, and so they're another uh, family that we're going to um, dearly miss. But again, uh, Stephen's called to this, and uh, God's uh, given him a pathway um, to be able to use his gifts, and he wants to um, to, to, to take on um, grad school to do that. So I'm going to pray over um, Ashley and the Eplings now. So just, uh, just pray silently as I pray for them aloud. Father, I uh, am so thankful for Ashley and the Eplings, and um, this is just uh, as I've been around church for at least Providence Road for a while now, this is... Um, This happens more than I wish it would happen, Uh, but that's that's just the nature of 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 what happens. The people move, and people um, get other jobs, and start school, and and these kinds of things. And uh, this, we trust that this is all in your plan and in your sovereignty and providence, and that the people that were supposed to be here are were here and contributed and served, and were faithful members. And that's what the Eplings and Ashley have done, and we're so thankful for them. We're we're thankful for what they've given us as a church and what they've given to people that they've been in relationship with in the church and how much um, we've been blessed by them um, as a church. And now I pray for their transitions. I pray that the Eplings would find a church and find community and find families that they can connect with, that they will be encouraged in those ways. And I pray for Ashley that, that living on her own in an apartment in a city she's never lived in, I pray for that transition I I pray that med school, uh, with all the um, the restrictions now with schooling, I pray that that would be um, se- as seamless as possible, and I pray that she would find a church that would love her and serve her, and that gives her an opportunity to serve and and love them as she has loved us so so faithfully. Um, we're thankful for these people. We're thankful that they've been family to us, and it's your son. And in your son's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> get a little time to recover before we have to come back up here. Um, okay, so the text we're going to be in today is Psalm 137. We're continuing on in our series where we're walking through different psalms in the book of Psalms, and we're trying to mix it up to some degree on um, the different kind of psalms. And today we find a, a psalm, we, we, we've looked at a, a one psalm that's similar to this, but this one's unique in that it has a couple of different moves and transitions that make it feel like a few different kinds of psalms. But it's Psalm 137. I'm going to read Um, read this aloud and then we're going to pray and then jump in psalm 137 by the waters of babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered zion on the willows there we hung up our lyres for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying sing us one of the songs of zion how shall we sing the lord's song in a foreign land if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to, the found, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall, be, shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray. Um, I want you to want to begin by praying for, um, or, or really thanking you for um, this country we live in on this uh, 4th of July Independence Day weekend. We're, we're thankful that you allow us to live in a, in, in a country that you've blessed in a lot of ways. That through your common grace, um, you allow many of us to experience um, the freedoms that, w- that we, we enjoy, and um, as I've traveled around the world um, quite a bit, um, there's no other country I'd rather live in, and I'm thankful to live in this country. But also as, Christ- as Christians, I-, I-, I pray that you would humble us and cause us to-, to know that we have a long ways to go in our country in some areas, that we're not perfect, that we're- we have things to work on as, as a country, and and unity and, and some of the things going on in our country right now. Um, I, I pray that as followers of Jesus, we would be able to, to navigate those tensions and be voices of justice, but also voices of love, um, truth and love in, um, in our country and in this moment. And so I, I'm thankful for uh, the men and women who've, who've died in the past for our country to give us the freedoms we enjoy. And I pray we can remember those people. Um, this week and I pray that the scripture we're going to look at today this passage would help us um, be able to live in the the tension of living in this country but also um, that this country is not our ultimate home if we're followers of Jesus in here and how to navigate the tensions of that as we live our life here on this earth it's in your son's name we pray amen so this psalm today I think is going to help us with the question that i've been asking myself this week for sure and i've asked myself for a long time and and maybe you've asked yourself this question as well but um the scriptures are clear and if we're followers of jesus hopefully we understand that this is not our home right the earth is now not our home but we're here right we're here right? we're here on earth we're here in the united states right now and how, so how should we live? If, we're, if this is not our home, but we're here, how do we live in this, uh, this tension that sometimes we find ourselves in? And some, some examples that I think I, I think about when I think about this is um, take for hotel rooms. When you walk into a hotel room, I've always, I had this thought pretty much every time I walk into a hotel room, whether when I'm bringing my bag or my suitcase into that room, is should I unpack? Right? Should I unpack my suitcase? And you go through kind of the formula of like, well, like how long am I here and is it worth it? Like unpacking, repacking. I know some of you are probably like, you're unpacking before you even walk in the door because you have to have everything out of your suitcase. Some of you are like, if I'm not going to live here long term, I'm not going to unpack and I'm going to live out of my suitcase. Right? I've always been curious why in hotels they like give you so much storage space. Like they give you drawers and hutches and dressers and all of this, like, pretty nice furniture, even, like, the two-star hotels that I've spent, pl- pl- spent plenty of nights in that, like, are really kind of um, just places of junk. But they still are, like, saying, hey, c- come and put your stuff and unpack here. And I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm not staying here. Like, I'm just, I'm just stopping because I'm tired and I need to get out of my car. Like, I'm not unpacking my stuff in this place. But yet they're, like, begging you to unpack your stuff here. Um, another example is renting versus buying a house. If you've rented a house uh, before, um, you kind of know that if something goes wrong, if it doesn't inconvenience you, it doesn't hurt your comfort, you're probably just going to kind of let it go, right? Like, but it, it could, those things usually add up and have ramifications long-term for the long-term health of that house. But if you're an owner of that house then something little happens. You're thinking, well, is this a big deal? Is this going to hurt the value? Is this going to compromise our comfort long term if we're staying in this house for five years? You usually address it because that place is your home. Whereas a rental house, I think we all kind of know to some degree that this this rental house isn't our home long term. Another example is when I lived in China. I lived there for a year, and when I Moved to China, I knew it probably wasn't going to be longer than two years, and it may just be only one year. So, I did unpack. Right, it was long enough where I needed to unpack. I had a job; I needed to put some some shallow roots down uh, to be able to to uh, kind of flourish and do what I needed to do there. Um, but I also felt like this long term tourist. In the back of my mind, I knew this wasn't home, and it changed the way I interacted with people. It changed the way I went about living there because I knew that China more than likely was not going to be my home long-term, and my home was still in Oklahoma. C.S. Lewis has a a quote. We'll read the the rest of the quote a little bit later, but the the main point of a quote that C.S. Lewis has from Mere Christianity says, If I find in myself—he's talking about all human beings here— if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy— the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And what he's saying here is that if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you have the Garden of Eden. That was supposed to be the home for all humanity forever. Garden of Eden, right? Like that was to mimic heaven, to mimic the kingdom of God. And that was supposed to be the place. But yet then Genesis 3 comes, we read that and through Adam and Eve's disobedience, sin comes into the world, and we don't get that experience anymore here on earth. We get shadows of it, we get tastes of it, we get echoes of it in different places, but we can't grab it. We, we, and this is what Lewis is, I think, wrestling with, is it just feels like this is not supposed to be our home, or things are not supposed to be this way. And this is what gives us this, I think, internal drive for justice, and to see rights, uh, wrongs made right, and those kinds of of things, and so I think the point of this, and it really what I want us to see from the Psalm today, is that our view on what home is, and how much we think about what home is, has massive implications for how we think and how we live. And I don't know if we connect that very often. I think we say, "Yeah, I, I realize this isn't our home. Home is is in heaven, in the presence of God, and one day, as if you're follower of Jesus, we'll get there." Um, but no, that if we, if we dwell on that and realize that is home, this is not. It actually changes, I think, the way we live and the way we kind of maybe even feel about the things that are going on in our country. You have tension, this tension in the Bible that I think God expects us to walk in. You have places in the scriptures. Um, Jeremiah, it's, it's most spell, spelled out there. Uh, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, tells God's people who are in captivity in Babylon, he tells them to, to get jobs, plant gardens, put roots down, raise your kids here. And he's really wanting them to raise generations here, and those generations raise other generations to be able to, and he says, to see this place flourish. He's asking them to put roots down so that Babylon may flourish. And obviously he, that, that God's will and God's kingdom can have influence in that, but he, he's kind of on one side of the tension, he's saying put roots down, get jobs, make this place your home. Even though the Babylonians were terrible, they were trying to take the memory of God away from the Israelites and cut all of their culture away from them and trying to forcibly assimilate them into their culture. Yet God says, go ahead and do it. But he's also like, don't forget about me though, why you're in the middle of doing that. But that's on one side of the tension. And then you get places like 1 Peter 2 and really from um, Abraham in the Old Testament, all the way through Revelation, you get these words that describes Christians as sojourners, aliens, pilgrims. Um, you have Jesus who says on one occasion that the foxes have um, holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place, nowhere to lay his head. And what Jesus was saying there is, in, in, as Jesus was a human and doing ministry, he, this wasn't his home. right? He even knew that this was temporary. He, he was telling the people who were following him, now remember, if you follow me, you're, you're for sure going to be an alien. You're going to be a sojourner. You're going to be a pilgrim, and you're not going to have a home if you follow me. So the Bible lays out this tension, I think, of, yes, we're aliens, but also to put some measure of roots down to be able to see flourishing in the places around us. And so that brings us to this psalm that I think gives us one angle, kind of one viewpoint on how to handle this earth not being our home, and this psalm is broken down into three parts, verses one through four. You have this corporate lament. It's a kind of a psalm of lament. They're lamenting where they're at, where the where the where, and it, yeah, where the people are at at the time. They're actually this is this is written after after they've been exiled. Um, so after they've been, spent time in Babylon. So this psalmist is thinking back to the way things were in the past. So they're lamenting that. Uh, verses 5 to 6 is a song Is a song of confidence in God, remembering God, remembering who God is. And 7 to 9 is what is called um, an imprecatory psalm or an imprecatory prayer, um, which means for, for d- there's divine intervention. They want God to intervene, but also do it in the way of justice and harsh justice. And we'll get to that. There's, there's some difficult v- verses there, but we'll get to that. So Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Babylon, Babylon was a, 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 um, a nation that was um, known for their rivers and their tributaries coming off of these rivers. If you read anything about ancient Babylon, um, in modern-day Iraq, you'll see um, them referred to the water was a big deal there. there it, was, it was fertile. It had a lot of um, advantages because there was so much water there, so when they... The psalmist is thinking back, by the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So Zion is this, um, it can be a physical place where um, God's, God's temple will be put long term, or it can also be this this spiritual reality, kind of like the church. We say a church can mean a a, a building like this, but the, when we also say the church, it can also mean this spiritual reality of all the people who know Jesus in the world. So that's similar to the, the, the phrase Zion there. And so Babylon also became a symbol um, or a saying, and you'll see this throughout the scriptures, even though they're not referring to the physical nation of Babylon, it can be a a, um, a metaphor for just society that is hostile to God. So that became the metaphor, the primary label. Because the Babylonians were so hostile to God, the world or the culture around God's people um, became known as Babylon. So that, that it kind of grew um, in meaning as time went on. And from a material perspective, Babylon was so, um, so wealthy, and, and the, the Israelites didn't have a terrible life in some respects from a material perspective. They were able to kind of fit in, and as long as they went with the flow of the society of the Babylonians, they had um, some possessions. They had some food. They were fed to some degree in these ways. and so. Um, but it was difficult for them to stay connected to God because the Babylonians were intentionally trying to take that out of their culture. Now, there's some places in our culture that we can kind of say, oh, that, that kind of resonates with us, right? Like our country has a lot of material prosperity, but in certain quarters of our culture— um, they don't. They're, they're not into God. They don't want. They don't into Jesus, and not want us to to be able to do some of the things we do. And then when it says they says that sat down and wept, and we remember Zion. What they're saying here is how can we sing? How can we be able to remember and 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 sing? They're about to about to sing here in a second, but to think about singing and worshiping when. We're in this situation. We're not home. We're not where we want to be. We've been exiled. We're in this, this place that these, these evil people in their mind are trying to take uh, God's, the, the memory of God away from us and take away our worship. They're mourning. I think this, this idea here gives us, gives us a, a place, gives us permission to mourn where, where we find ourselves. We should, there should be times in our lives where we weep that we are not home, that weep that this world the way it is. Lament that things should be better and could be better because that is, we're kingdom people. We want to be in the presence of God. We, we, we should prefer Eden over the world we live in. And let's read a verse 2. On the willows there, so on the trees near the rivers, they're, imag- they're, they're thinking back here, we hung up our leers. It's like a harp. It's a musical instrument that they used in worship. For there, at this moment, our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth sang, sing us one of the songs of Zion! Exclamation. Um, and so what is happening here is they're mocking them, right? They're all sitting, probably gathered by this river, and they're um, they've got their they're about to sing, or they got their instruments there, which was commonplace for them to to, to try to remember, to, to force themselves to remember God, and not lose the memory. They would sing to Him these old songs. And then the Babylonians would come along and say, yeah, sing your little songs to your God. How's he helping you right now? Right? Like, like, look around you. You're in captivity. Like, you're not at home. You've been brought out of your home. Go ahead and sing songs to your little God that is obviously powerful, right? They're, they're mocking them. They're, getting, they're, they're poking fun at them to say, sing these songs to this imaginary God that's not going to help you. And then in verse 4, they said, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And you can almost hear just the lament in that. Like, how can we find the place to say God is great, God is powerful, God is going to cause us to flourish, and he's our protector, and Zion is this wonderful place where we'll be in the presence of God, and they remember the promises of God in the Old Testament up to this point, point. and yet around them in their immediate environment, they don't see it. They don't have control of the way they live. They're in captivity in some sense. They're being forcibly assimilated into this pagan, in their minds, evil culture. And they're lamenting this. And I think this, um, once again, helps us to put ourselves in their shoes. If there aren't times and there's not this tension point in our lives of lamenting that this is not our home. That it helps us to not be so attached to the things of the world. Because this is not our home. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, so we see in those verses this happening, Um, and then let's move on to oh well actually, um this this should also bring us awareness to those labels that the New Testament gives on us like uh, sojourners, aliens, strangers, pilgrims. We should feel um those those those. Is that me? Can't tell this. Sorry, keep hearing something. Sorry, how'd that happen? Coldplay. That's nice. How did that happen? Okay, my hands were not in my pockets. You saw that. Okay, um, so sorry about that. Um, so they could at this point they could you can almost feel this. they could throw in the towel. They could say this is enough. We're not even going to try to keep worshiping. We're not going to try to do this thing where we sit down by the river and sing because it's not worth it. This is this is too sad. And in our day and age, uh, in in the New Testament, in First Peter chapter, chapter one, right at the beginning, Peter's writing to exiles. He says. Elect exiles who are scattered. So much of what Peter writes and much of the new, what the New Testament writers are writing into is a, is a community of people. The church, it is, this is not our home. We're scattered. This isn't supposed to be our home. So don't get too attached to it. And this the things that they were thinking about and, and, and were, were, being, were, being, um, were being tormented with here. They were trying to wrestle with this tension of it not being their home but at wanting to be their home and wanting to sing to God. So there's this real tension that they're facing. Let's look at the next two verses. You you see this pivot here. And we don't get a lot of uh, understanding behind this pivot, but something happens here in verse five. They say, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Remember, these are musicians talking here. So let my right hand forget its skill, how they played the instrument. Let my tongue, here's the singer, stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So if I if I don't do these things, if I how can I not sing songs to God? How can I forget the God who brought us out of exile? Out of exile in, in, in Egypt? The, the, the God who's fulfilled these promises. How can we forget this God? And where this is where they are they are remembering their loyalty and confidence in God. In the midst of their sorrow, they make this turn. Remember, this is all one psalm. This is all one song that they would sing in worship um, after they got out of exile. Now, you remember for the Israelites, the, the temple or the presence of God is where they thought of things like the, the, the presence of God and his, his goodness and the, the atonement and the covenant and the kingship of God where they received forgiveness and reconciliation. All those aspects that we should be remembering the gospel, um, this is the same things that they were um, mourning and trying to remember and trying to force themselves to not forget about. Okay, So we see this, this, once again, this tension of um, this is hard, this is difficult, but I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to remember that this is not my home. I'm going to remember the gospel and the goodness of God. So what does this look like kind of played out in our world and our life? Okay, so I think there's two kind of ditches here in the, or, or, or kind of um, um, extremes of this tension. So I think as we answer this question, this is not our home. How do I live in this world, especially as a follower of Jesus? I think the, the, the one side, the one ditch is that we can care too much about this world. We can care too much. We can try to squeeze every ounce of our, what is it, 80 years or so is the average. We can squeeze every ounce of the 80 years of our lives with experiences and just move from like one high to the next high and try to soak up all that this world has to offer. We can try to have the possessions and fill our life with as much stuff that we think is going to make us happy because we care too much about the world we live in. We can put all of our hope and our faith in a, a political figure or a political system because we're saying, okay, this world is so important. This has to be right. We have to get this right. We have to get the right guy in office. We have to do this. And there's a danger there of putting too much focus on these 80 years in this earth and, and, and putting our faith and trust in, in the hype of politics um, instead of um, having a measured view of, of engagement in politics. And we'll get to that here in a second. That's, that's one ditch. The other ditch is caring too little about this world, right? This is the retreat from society, that th- this world is so evil and so bad that we need to set up this Christian bubble around us um, because this is, we're going to try to forcibly bring heaven to earth not allow Jesus to usher in that, but we're going to try to bring heaven to earth and set ourselves up in a bubble and try not to let the evil kind of infect us. And there was probably a temptation for God's people to do that, but we remember what Jeremiah told them. They said, hey, hey, put roots down. Engage. Raise your kids here. Be a part of this culture to some degree, but don't forget about me. Okay? Another kind of ways we can care for two level is, care to little is seeing like, hey, what's... What's, um, what's the point in trying to see God's kingdom come in, in, more, um, in a greater degree in our world when this isn't our home? Why should we care about it? Who cares about ethics? Who cares about people's flourishing and, 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 and those kinds of things? Because we have a home waiting for us in heaven. That's the ditch of really caring too little about our world and not being engaged in, in these kinds of things. So how do we go about navigating the tension and kind of walking, I think, on this on this uh, path where we stay in the middle, well, I think the answer is, is the gospel? And it's not just the personal gospel that gives us the motivation to do this. It's also kind of the, the cosmic gospel. And, and Paul n- uh, nails this in Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses seven through 10, the verses will be on the screen. Listen to Paul here explaining the gospel, especially in verse 10. we'll get there. In him, Jesus. Plan of redemption that comes out of the good news of the gospel. So this is our this is our roadmap to remember what Jesus has done. He allows us to to be able to to understand and to grow personally in the gospel. So we don't have to trust in anything of this world. We can hold the things of this world loosely because we because Jesus has us. He's holding on to us tightly. We don't have to run do different things on the earth, but. There is a plan that, that um, God has in Jesus to unite all things under himself. So we can work hard in the areas of the world that we see. We can work hard to see that all human beings have, have an equal chance of flourishing. We can work hard to protect those people who, who aren't being protected. We can work hard to have Christian liberty and these kinds of things. But when we don't get our way on this earth, when things don't fall the way we want them to on the earth, we, those things we're holding to them loosely. And we can let those things go because this is not our home. This is not our home. So again, there's this, this is way we can walk the tension here, and I think this is what Israel had to do in exile and how we can do that in this day and age. Well, let's finish the psalm, back into Psalm 137, verse 7. And once again, the, the psalm switches here to um, a asking God to judge their enemies, which is called, in, 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 the, in the literature, in the psalms, it's called an imprecatory psalm. And these psalms, these are uncomfortable, right? These are uncomfortable words to read. So let's, but let's, let's jump in. Remember, O God, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundation. So the Edomites were not the Babylonians. They're different, but they're watching the Babylonians take over Israel, and they hated Israel so much that they're like the the fans on the sidelines who are saying, yeah, get them, Babylonians. Tear it down. Destroy all of Israel. Wipe them out. We don't want anything to do with them. We don't like them. And so they're saying that they're, 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 they're mourning the fact that, hey, God, remember, remember, God, what those Edomites said to us. They defamed your name. They spoke down to you. God, you handled that. And notice that they're not trying to handle it in their own power. They're praying that God would exercise his justice. They want justice to be done, but they realize that God is the executor of justice in his time. Let's look at verse 8. Now you go, they can switch to Babylon. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Again, they're kind of telling it, hey, Babylon, you're going down one day. Your time will end. Blessed shall he be who repays you, punishes you with what you have done to us. Exclamation. Okay, so they're getting after Babylon here. They're asking God, hey, take care of Babylon. Judge them rightly for what they've done to us. And this is the uncomfortable verse. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Okay. Okay. Uh, it'd be easy just to like, let's just ignore that one and not think, pretend it's not there. But it's in this psalm. So let's, let's talk briefly about it. Um, there's a couple of different interpretations. One's the more literal translation. And commentators would say, this was a common practice in that day. Like when a country overthrew another country, they would, they would end the lives of all ages. I'm trying to protect my language here in this room. All ages. They would end the lives so that future generation couldn't come up and bite them in the, in, kind of in the rear later. So they would go into these nations and wipe everyone out. And that was a common practice in, in, in that time period of all history, in all nations. So one translation is just that the Israelites have seen all this, right? They've seen this happen time and time again. So you're just simply asking God, hey, they're not going to do it, but God, you do it. You exercise your justice however you see fit using whatever tool you want to use in them. Because that's what they've done to us, and they did do that when they first captured um, uh, the God's people—the ones who didn't really assimilate quickly—they wiped them out. They wiped them out. So this has happened to them. Now, the other, the the uh, I guess softer view on this, and I think it's but it's legitimate, is saying that the, that um, this idea of of kind of ending the lives of little ones is less about the actual little ones and just talking about hey, cut off the influence of the future generations that this nation would have. So kind of a, the little ones is a metaphor for the power in the coming generations. So it may not mean actually ending the life of the little ones. It may just mean, hey, cut it off in such a way, take the power in such a way where their little ones won't flourish in the future. Okay, But the main point, the main idea for us here is that they are asking God to execute justice and we know on this side of things on this side of the cross jesus has taken all of that justice upon himself the wrath that god would have towards all of this jesus has absorbed all of that upon himself okay so god deals differently with the world on this side of the cross because of the cross this is more reason to glory and be thankful in jesus And then there's this also, I'll I'll read a a commentator, he says this, he says, um, There will be a day when Babylon will be no more. It is chilling, but it is necessary. If the children of Babylon live, then Babylon's lives will rise again. But the day will come when Babylon will not rise again. We see this final defeat most clearly in Revelation 18, 21 through 24. And There is a spot there that talks about the other nations. With its assuring refrain, never again. At that point in time in Revelation, the four nations will never again have power over God's people. One day evil will be no more. One day hostility to God and his people will be no more. And we see in the very next chapter of Revelation 19, the vision for what things will be like. The vision for all the pain, all the mourning, all the suffering will go away. And if you want to read more on that, uh, chapters 19, 20, and 21 of Revelation just give this beautiful vision of what our hope will look like. So, to end, what's the application here? The application is, number one, be aware of the biblical tension. Be aware of and understand the tension that God wants us to walk in. And I think we see that tension on both sides throughout the scriptures. We see in the world, but not of the world. That's Jesus, right? We see um, the already, but not yet of the kingdom. We see the hey, uh, put roots down, uh, cause this, 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 this nation on earth to flourish, so I might have influence. We also see, hey, you're you're aliens, you're your pilgrims, you're sojourners. Don't get too attached to this world. You belong to another world that is so much better. So be aware of that tension. Um, watch the ditches, right? We talked about those ditches. Watch the ditches. Work for the flourishing of all people in our world. Be involved with ethical issues the Bible speaks us to be in. I'm not opposed to being involved in politics. Go get it if you, want, if you feel like you want to be involved in politics. But as you're working in politics, just know you're working for a world that's going to um, go away one day. But God still calls us to, to be a part of that. Once again, there's the tension, right? Um, and, and then also remember that we are aliens. This is not our home. A better one awaits. Uh, we shouldn't be like the world around us. All that, That's why the word alien is used, right? If an alien came to our world... They would look weird. They would look different. They would be otherworldly. This is exactly the way we should live, which means that our attachments to this world should be weaker than most of the people around us. And this is scary, but even our families. I started thinking like to the, great, to the furthest degree, what's, what's the thing that would be hardest for me to let go of in this world? It would be um, my family, right? But he calls us to even hold our families loosely because of the home that's awaiting for us. Again, this is just a mist, the Bible says. This is, this is 80 years on average, and then it's gone. We have eternity before we were born, and we have eternity um, ahead of us after we pass away. And that's a lot more than 80 years. We need to remember that. Um, and then the last thing just to remember is the gospel, that that is the only hope to navigate this tension, to really do that. Because We're going to either put our hope in security or safety on earth, or we're going to put our hope in trying to fix the world and use all of our time to try to fix a world that we're not even going to spend eternity in. And so the only hope is the gospel in resting, that God is providentially in control, he's going to work things out, and I can look to him for hope because we know the way this story ends. Um, And I want to read um, the last thing, and we'll close. Uh, The full passage from C.S. Lewis, I read a bit of it earlier. Um, This is beautiful from Mere Christianity. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so... I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for something else which they only kind of copy, echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for psalms like this that are the Israelites are, are, are raw. They're saying, I'm tired of this. I don't want to sing. I don't want to be mocked anymore. How can we sing to God when we look all around us, and it doesn't seem like we're in our home or a good place? But then they quickly turn and say, wait a minute, I, I, I can't remember you. I can't remember your goodness. I can't remember the promises that you made to us in the past that our, that our ancestors told us about. And then I thank you that even in their anger, and, and, and even if, if it was a righteous anger, they looked to you for, to, to, to serve justice, and they didn't take that upon themselves. They had a view of your providence, a view of your sovereignty in the course of history. So they came to you and asked you for justice. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.